Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to this uh, podcast series, Talking Leadership and, and Best Practice Network. This is our part of our ongoing series where we're looking to explore different topics that, that happen around from our member discussions and key topics as we engage with industry. I'd like to welcome back, Eric. How are you, mate? Good, mate. Thank you for having me. Good, good. And David Greaves, uh, great to have you here. And I, I know it's uh, we're in sunny Queensland at the moment. It is fairly sunny. I'm happy to gloat. And David Stewart, welcome back. Uh, great to have you. Uh, you've spoken before at some of our business leaders forums, but great to have you as part of this podcast series. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, and a pleasure to be here in such an esteemed company. <laughs> Part of the, the topic that we've got that we really want to explore today is all this around about navigating uncertainty. And uh, I'm really going to ask David Stewart just to give us a bit of background and, and kick us off on, on really around, uh, especially around inflection points, which is our first discussion point. And then once David's had a chance to to really explore some of those key things, we're going to open up and have a good dis- group discussion from there. So, David, do you want to start us off today? Look, I'll start this off with just uh, some themes and observations to kickstart the conversation. But it- it's clear the world is at an, an inflection point and indeed the world has been shaped by inflection points and just by way of sort of definition an inflection point is caused by an event that results in significant change most of which is unforeseen and unpredictable so hence the need for uh, navigating uncertainty if i gave some some sort of recent examples of inflection points and some of the themes that when you look back on it your, your, your history then starts to give you a, a good good sense of what an inflection point is and the impact so if you think after world war ii that heralded the the, the creation of modern management theory as uh, peter drucker and starts uh, used uh, that to rebuild japan and so some of the great brands in uh, Sanyo, um, Toyota, all coming out of there using uh, the, the principles of modern management theory. You've also then saw the impact of TV, the birth of the baby boomers and the pursuit of uh, a quest for better living. So appliances and home, home devices to prove the livability of living at home. And then you move into the, the recession of the late 80s and early 90s and that saw in the rise of digitization and obviously the introduction of the World Wide Web and personal computers. And that sort of then starts to bring in the new brands uh, that dominate our world today, Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, Google, and all the the way that uh, we, we transact and communicate with each other. And you also then saw the death of the slow-moving brands like Kodak, Nokia, who, who couldn't keep up with the uh, changes uh, that were rapidly taking place. And then recently, more recently, if you look at the global financial crisis and the heralding uh, the rise of the disruptors, so eBay, Amazon, Uber, Airbnb, Netflix, all targeting slow-moving, cumbersome supply chains that they could disrupt and, and impact, leading to the rise of digital apps and the phone becoming moving, going from a phone to a computer in your pocket and, and a personal device and the rise of retailers that are online. And so the aggregators and, and Amazon and the big aggregators of uh, retail. So fundamentally changing in-store shopping experiences. So they're just examples of how inflection points can impact in business. And I'm sure you know, others will have great examples of, of uh, different sectors going into that. But there's some things for leaders to actually start to think about if, if it just is part of the steam set. And you're seeing already the uh, rise of the Great Reset. And for those that are unaware, the World Economic Forum is leading a, uh, an agenda called the Great Reset that they're targeting in Davos next year, but, but it's on three key themes, sustainability, 
So the environment and sustainability is coming in as is something that uh, circular economy thinking, carbon neutral, carbon zero, uh, all those thinking is going to be something that all businesses and supply chains need to be aware of. The second pillar they're looking at uh, under the Great Reset is fairness. So the uh, the notion of fairness of trade, fairness of, of use and, and things like, uh, and uh, B Corps and, and the, the paying of good wages and working with that. And the third thing that they're looking at is the wealth distribution coming out out of particularly out of the vaccination of the world and how far behind uh, a poorer countries are suffering from the vaccination rollout compared to the wealthier countries. And so they're the three principles. So there's a great reset happening. Within that great reset is also businesses are needing to rethink their supply chains and their sourcing. So that, that's another thing that, that they need to be think about. And finally, just as part of the, some of the predictions and early trends is flexibility and hybrid working, you know, how people want to choose, work and where they want to choose to live and the rise and rise of part-time rather than full-time work or, or where I want to walk or how I want to work. So in terms of uh, just our discussion today, the, the key messages for leaders is that uh, it's a bit like, as you described, Kevin, you know, preparing a crew to go out sailing. You need to, to, to prepare for all sorts of weather conditions, keep an eye on the environment and, and changing weather patterns. But you kind of don't know what's moving, uh, what, what's, what's uh, going to be, ne- what the new normal is going to be. It's going to need to, to be able to something that we need to navigate. And this is where, you know, for leaders, I pick up the three, three A's that you need to, to think about. Part of, the, part of this is, is how do you align your thinking and your teams with the changing circumstances that we're moving in for? How do you actually then start to give your t- skills and the teams to adapt to the changing circumstances? And how do you empower adaptability? And the third thing is keeping agility to, to the market forces and so early warning trends and scenarios as they start to play out, how do you agilely uh, navigate those as being some of the, what I call the three A's of need to think for, for leaders and how you empower and build your capability around all those things. So for me, as a scene set, that kind of then puts to, together some pretty meaty topics for leaders to start thinking about both um, within their market, within their business and within, within their, their teams and cultures. Thank you, David. And I think definitely around the three A's, I'm, I'm hearing a lot around that message about the, um, as we're in these uncertain times and continue to be uncertain and the way things are changing, the whole ability to be agile, to be able to adapt and then almost align and bring it. What, what does that really mean is that constant cycle, which for a lot of industries is almost daily, hourly. <laughs> for some, it's uh, it's obviously less frequent now. I've been doing that on a consistent basis around the ongoing pressures and disruptions. And who knows what that next disruption will be as well, which is uh, we can predict it off from there. So David Greaves, come back to you from a Darwella group, because uh, I mean, You've got a pretty extensive history in, in work you've done before, but, you know, what's some of those key disruptors, I mean, you've seen within within Darwella Group and how does that align with the way you think the leadership is working now compared to, I don't know, five years ago? The big disruptor for us, at, you know, I think the inflection point for us is sustainability. A, because all the big companies now are pushing sustainability through their supply chain. So, you know, we, you're, you're compelled to, for, we, we, our biggest customer is Coles, for example. We're compelled to align with Coles on their whichever UN sustainability goals they, they adapt. Uh, and then we add to that. So we're doing a lot of work on that. And we're sort of liaising with the other two companies in the group. And I think that's... The, the thing that frightens me about that is not, I, I find it really exciting, but I think the thing that worries me about it is, you know, the ability of when you've got these traditional type companies who you know, in the technology and system space are fairly adaptable to then take on, 
the change that's required to adapt to climate change and, and to become more a more sustainable uh, supply chain is is it beyond a lot of them. You know, we're a traditional industry, really. We, we just grow chickens and we do it very well. And, you know, that has become a lot better. But this is a new type of challenge, I think. And, and, it, and it really means acknowledging that the landscape is going to change. The requirement on us is going to change. Uh, fortunately, chicken is probably the most environmentally friendly sources of protein, but still is going to be a lot of emphasis on, you know, us looking carefully at our supply chain and, and adapting. And it's also acknowledging too that we're a, comp- we're a business that the, the kilos per head of population just incrementally grows every year, year on year on year on year, and people take that for granted. Whereas I think with plant-based and lab-grown meats, um, we are going to see possibly a decline in that graph. And that's you know, that's something we need to adapt to, either by getting involved in that side of it or really pushing our environmental credentials. I talk to people all the time, and I'm pretty sure they're sick of me, but about, you know, particularly people my age, they don't understand that younger people in particular, but even, even middle-aged people, are now making their eating decisions on environmental concerns, on their health concerns. So, you know, it, and then just it's all values-based now. Before it used to be, you know, what tastes good. Now it's a lot of those decisions are based on their values. So we've got to learn to uh, acknowledge that and react to it. In terms of dealing with it, I think Dawal has done a lot of work in the last five to 10 years, and it's all based around something I heard somebody say at a conference once that, you know, Toyota are working 40 years into their 10,000-year or 1,000-year plan, and uh, that just impressed me. And when you look into it, it's it's all about if you just train your people, if you have a you know, a real good attitude towards systems and technology, you build those foundational practices that everybody just accepts. I mean, you can really adapt to anything. You can adapt to new business. You can adapt to the change. Um, I think the companies that haven't really developed their people and their teams and their systems to adapt, I think they're the ones that are going to really struggle. And I, I think that's a, a very relevant point. We're coming back to the, those those three A's and uh, being willing to, to rethink and think out of the box, even when things are going really, really well, you know, in terms of mm. and those disruptors and, and the way they, they come to. So, Eric, has there been any key points from your recent discussions around this whole uncertainty and especially around those three A's? Definitely around the uncertainty has come up. I work in the seafood sector, so I, I might challenge David on the, the climate credentials of seafood, which I think trump most other protein sources, but we won't get into those arguments here because that's not what we're here to talk about. But um, I think, off. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> of course, I, and I love your product, so I, I'm not going to have that argument, mate. I'll let you have the win. I think uncertainty is, is pervasive across some of the sectors that I'm familiar with. And in the seafood sector, it's not an uncertainty leading to potential destabilization it's more rethinking what do current supply chains look like and can we do something different from the different points in that supply chain so an example of that is we have more and more commercial fishes in the catching part of the sector so you've got sectors really divided into two big camps those that catch or grow the seafood and those in the post-harvest sector that are selling it to the public as either a retailer or wholesaler and everything in between and 
and and that's a very crude and, and simple analysis there of the supply chain. But from the catching sector perspective, what COVID brought in as a disruption to that, the thinking there is, well, why can't we sell if we're catching the product direct to public rather than go through an intermediary to sell the product, which would mean more dollars per kilo for the catcher rather than giving that, losing some of that profit to selling direct to a wholesaler. Now, not everyone has taken up that challenge because one of the assumptions I had, and it was shot very much out of the water, is some people just want to harvest the product, sell it, and then be done with it. They don't want to have a public interface. And so understanding what your business capabilities are, are going to be a real necessity going forward for those that are leading organizations. And what you assumed worked before a shock has come through may not work into the future. Now that's easy to say, but when when you're relying on your bottom line to survive, you're going to have to have some uncomfortable conversations with others and some self-reflection around what it'll mean for your business. And probably the last thing to say here and something that I've been mulling over in my head for a little while, and I like the three A's concept about aligning, being agile and adaptable, is that maybe into the future, what we're going to see with leadership is it doesn't just, that's not just pervasive of leaders, it's of every employee in the organization. So you're training to get people to think more aligning what they do with the business goals, being more agile in what they do and being more adaptable. Those skills are really essential in leaders, but I think they're essential across all employees. So are we looking at potentially navigating uncertainties in the future with organizations that have got leadership at all levels that are prepared to adapt up and down depending on what is required in the environment? Now I'm looking long-term, but that's where I think some of this is heading. So a lot more to unpack there. And and I'm, I'm not for a second suggesting that everyone has the capability or the capacity or the dollars to make any of this happen very quickly. But if we're not having these conversations, we'll just revert to type. And by that, I mean, we'll just keep doing what we've done before and hope that we get a different outcome down the track, which I don't think is a good way to be. So yeah, that, that's probably my contribution to that point, mate. We're picking out some key points here about, we talked about flexibility, ways of working, the, the way the supply chain, I think is also getting over the challenge. You can still add great value here, you know, in terms of really understanding what, what your value is. And I was just picking up on some feedback locally where you know, they've been talking to a lot of just uh, restaurants and social outlets recently who who in their mind, you know, just saw them as a restaurant, people turn up, sit down, have a meal and and and, and go out. And, and and they've really adapted to the whole world, adapting over to like the takeaway, which has now become such a core part of what they do. They've become very good at it. They're almost challenging some of the traditional takeaway areas now in terms of because people like what they're doing and go through it. But but just their staff um, just being able to react to that. And I think there's there's a great point you mentioned here in terms of I think it, I think the value can come right through the whole business now. I, I think there's a whole I hear something, I see something. I've got to have that confidence and that ability to actually then make a decision or feed that decision up and not just wait for that senior team, senior person to sit there with the with the hand on the rudder and go, this is where we're going team. I've made the decision because I've been here for 20 years and I've got the title. And I suppose that could be one of the challenges for senior leaders now is, is how do you keep control of a, I call, go back to the analogy, the, the sailboat, but allow my crew to take control of how we do it and where we go. So I think, David, we've spoken about a little bit before. Now, hi, Raquel, can you hear us? Hi, Kevin. Sorry, uh, my internet comped out here in, uh, in Dubai and Rufella, so I'm actually at a Starbucks around the corner. 
Well, Raquel, if it makes you feel any better, we were just going to start recording and my internet dropped out as well completely. So we've got Eric Perez here, who's been running podcasts for a while and is now co-hosting with me. We've got David Stewart from Reaching Your Pinnacle, who is, has given us some, some key starting points here. David Greaves from Darwalla Group, who's has been an active member of the network and your team would have met some of his team as well on some of their trips over here. And then Raquel, you are, like you say, in and I've just had the warning message on my phone saying my internet is down. There you go. Was that 25 minutes too late? <laughs> and Raquel, great to have you. So Raquel, we were just really just having our discussion around inflection points and disruption. And, and some of the key things that the David was was really talking about was, was some of the leadership things that are now coming around about the three A's all about alignment, adaptability, and, and agility, and, and also some of the, the rethinks that are going around supply chains and how your supply chains work, flexibility, and, and the ways of different ways of working, which I know you would have seen across your multi-sites, multi-country, multi-business. So I, I think what I'll do, if you just want to, I'm sure you've got your coffee there, just just have a listen in the conversation and I'll bring you in in just a couple of minutes. Terrific. Can we just explore this this flexibility ways of working and the impact? David Greaves, can I just come back to you here because you've got, you're dealing regionally, you know, you've got remote farms, you've got remote locations. What's the disruption been and what's the changes you've seen on the way that you engage and your teams work over the past 12 months? Oh, look, I think probably the biggest disruption has been we used to, I mean, particularly me, we used to travel out west quite often at the end of batches, during batches, just to have a presence because, uh, that, you know, that we're, those guys are locked down due to biosecurity reasons, but also just the geographic location and they can just get forgotten. So we've had to really put a stop to that. You know, unless you've got a, a really good reason to go and visit a farm, you don't go and visit a farm. And I think that's that's had an impact. And when I started here 12 years ago, nobody visited the farms. The farms were just in isolation. They didn't know anybody. So we, we had a, a scheme where everybody visited every location and that worked wonders. I think the other thing, in terms of, there was a little bit of, you know, you had the old school, like, oh, will people really work from home and things like that? But we overcame that very quickly and that's we just adapted to that. And I think think the, you know, just the really, really tight control on access to all of our remote properties is probably the biggest impact on us. But, but having said that, Kevin, I'll go back to something you said about, you know, um, how do you let go of control and things like that? We, we've had a team-based culture for a long time now, and we're confident that on all of those sites, um, they own that business. Ownership's one of our values, and, and they know they own it. They know what the plan is. They know how it fits with the, the overall strategy. They know what's expected. And so, the, you know, having the conversations online is, is pretty easy because everybody is on the same page. And, you know, we have a daily team meeting, for example, which starts at the lowest level early, early in the morning before most of us are awake. And then it just goes up the levels until, the, you know, half past eight every morning, team the team has their meeting. So we know everybody in the organisation knows what the issues are every day. So that's that's been a great success as well. No, thank you, David. And I appreciate we've we've known each other for a while now. And I know that whole team and ownership around the group has been a, a real strong part of the business. And I think we, we've, we've got a firm learning from our network, from a leadership point of view is, is, is the companies that have embedded some great principles and great leadership and great culture over a period of time are definitely living off that and in some cases thriving off that as well. You can't just suddenly switch the button when I have to and go, I'm a great leader, let's have a great culture, 
and go and go and solve. So, so Raquel, can I um, come back to you here? Um, and it is great to catch up with you and see you again. It's uh, it has it has been a while. Now, you talk about in your notes. So, you may just want to give a just a brief update on the business and the size. But you've had this what we call the whipsaw effect. You've had to deal with this uncertainty of you being shut down, but your market open, and then you Absolutely. opening up, and then your market shutting down. So, how's how's that just impacted the way your the leadership, but also how you've engaged with your teams? Well, I think it's, um, you know, it's, we've been filled with uncertainty. Thanks a lot, Kevin, for having me online as always. I'm Raquel Hydramani. I'm a director at the Hydramani Group, uh, an apparel manufacturer based out of Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, Vietnam, and Ethiopia. And, you know, we've, we've had a, a major whipsaw effect, as you touched on. So going back to, you know, March of 2020, we shut down for six weeks straight and we employ over 50,000 associates. So for us in Asia, the, you know, the world essentially came to a standstill because, much like you yourselves in Australia, it was um, a zero tolerance curfew as a lockdown, right? We, we weren't allowed to walk around or go into supermarkets. Um, it, was, it was an interesting impact. And you know, all of us know that in manufacturing, the minute you stop, it, it just comes to a complete standstill, whether it be cash flow or, um, or associates. And a lot of our associates are paid on incentives. So we took the decision to make sure that all our work staff were, were paid in full for, for time not work. That was the first step. But when our customers came to a standstill, they started mass cancellations, citing force majeure. And what we had to do was pivot very, very quickly. So what did we do? We couldn't get approval for PPE from the FDA or from medical associations. So we started manufacturing locally for, for our government's medical needs. We then moved into face covers and we started offering them to our customers saying, hey, you guys will need them in the US or, or in Australia or even in, in Hong Kong or your associates in whatever fields you're in. So it, it took a lot of creativity to kick off with. And the next step was obviously to start looking at slightly longer lead times because China was shut down. A lot of our material, about 60% comes from there. And it, it made us realize how dependent we are on our logistics and supply chain. So it's, it's a great disconnect right now, right, Kevin? Sea and air, air freights to the US, which used to cost $1.50 per kilo, are now $8 a kilo. No one can afford that in, in the retail game. So, and I think it's a really interesting point you pick up from a, from this leadership point of view is, is, is I think we're back to the where you've got those open eyes. And I think this is this, this uncertainty bit of being, of being really aware of what your market is, what your supply chain is, what your business is. is we always knew it was important but it's almost been critical now because you've been asked to make some very quick decisions on what could be poor knowledge you know especially if you're at the top or and you haven't got that that coming through and i think you know i coming back to to david's point around this this whole of this reset i'm really hearing from a lot of businesses at the minute is they've really had to reset their whole thinking about where their value add is in their business, where their critical points are in their business. And that's really opened up how they manage those parts of the business as well. And and then exposed a whole whole number of leadership questions, you know, in terms of how have we been driving it in the right way? Have we been leading it in, in the right way as well? So where are our key points, but also that ability to almost take it as a not a negative, but as a turn it around to say, now, what can I do with it? And I think your pivot point of, well, we know what we're good at. We can make apparel, we can make garments, we can make this, and we do a damn good job at it. Instead of looking backwards, how can I make use of it? Now, David Stewart, I think that's a really interesting point about in terms of thinking in this uncertainty bit. It's very easy to get that knock back 
and go, the woe is me, I can't do anything. That ability to be positive in that type of mindset in those is in certain times, is, it, is that something that's coming out in that, that messaging and the way leaders having to think or even may struggle to think? I think this is a really key point because having the right mindset is linked to alignment. And so the, the first thing, no matter where you are in the world, COVID's affected you in some way, shape or form. So my world has shrunk to it's affecting me. And then as we start to come out of the fog of COVID, how do we reset ourselves to, to take the next stepping stones on what growth might be? And having a growth mindset is mission critical to not only having um, a growth mindset in the business and where you are in the business cycle and where you, what your markets are doing, but also as a personal thing in terms of having a growth mindset. And so when you start driving a growth mindset, one of the key capabilities that you're wanting your people to, to say, okay, do I want you to be um, going down a notion of being a, uh, a, a compliant mindset or do I need you to drive a competence mindset? And and as you start to go down this, this competence, it's saying, okay, so how how do I ask you to solve complex problems or how do I ask you to actually uh, act on and resort and deal with issues before they get away? How do I get you to innovate and problem solve things as we go through to improve performance? And how do I get you to coach and influence people? And so, so for me, you know, this growth mindset, and, and, and I love the, the principle of the Oz principle that you have above and below the line thinking and the context around what is above the line thinking in your neck of the woods. What does that actually mean? Because we all fall below the line when, when uh, things get tough or when things don't go our way. And that's, that's human nature. We're hardwired to, to protect ourselves. And so how do you help dust yourselves off and pick yourselves up again? But more importantly, link your above the line thinking to how we run the business, how we grow the business, how we actually serve and manage our customers and, and uh, suppliers, how we actually drive efficiencies, how we actually sort of support and coach and, and provide some seamless service and, and support with, that, with my colleague. And that's this alignment piece to say, okay, you, you, to, to, to move forward, you're going to have to build your business around networked teams. And network teams goes with familiarity. And network teams goes into the theme of alignment and familiarity and this what I call above the line thinking. So do I go into below the line thinking, poor bugger me syndrome, or do I move into how do I actually turn, you know, lemon into lemonade in this particular circumstance and work with the team around that? And that then feels alignment first, agility second, and then adaptability third. Just listening to you there in terms of the, the network teams, it just prompted something we were talking about the other day with with a number of, and I think this is where this 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 inflection point of having to work remotely, of having to suddenly, I haven't got that luxury of being in the office or of being able to quickly go and see someone. It's really exposed that whole, how do we get our teams to work together? Raquel will be working with different time zones, different countries. Guys, we know difficulties in Australia. Now we've got five time zones in the same country and, and that can cause chaos. So the idea of that network teams and then being able to get them to, to come together, the familiarity again is it's a real is we still put teams in positions and we expect them to do miracles when they may not have worked together before, they may not know each other, and they may not understand where each other is from is, is something which is has really exposed a number of groups that we've been talking to, and they're on this rapid catch-up again. So, David Grace, can I come back to you? So, when that point of COVID kicked in, how did, how did you and the, t- the team work? What was, was the thinking? And how, did, how much did you draw on, on what you'd done before, and how much did you have to rethink the way you were doing business. I was in New Zealand at the time, believe it or not. 
and I was impressed. I was quite proud actually because we because we have a we do have strong teams and good leaders for each of those teams. And you know the senior leadership team was ringing me and we were all having these confabs about what we do and all this. But you know within a couple of days we were giving instructions to the people on the sites as to how to keep people safe. And we discovered that they'd already done most of it themselves. You know they sort of they knew what was going on. They took the precautions, which which is pretty critical in some of the areas. But and then we we just overlaid that with providing the information they needed and the materials they. Needed need and and that and and i you know like it's it's been a hard i think the the fact that it's gone on for so long there's a bit of fatigue starts to come in it was mm-hmm. just over it and so constantly refreshing the message and uh, just doing things like we we've got 160 people we put together sample bags for them or gift bags for them and deliver those just to thank them for staying safe and things like that so you got to keep sort of promoting that message that you know they're doing a great job i gotta say too i mean it's it's all from a business and a growth perspective, it's been probably one of our busiest periods in the company's history at the same time as all, all of this is going on. So you've had to cope with a lot of, we've built a lot of things. And so you know, you've got people coming from interstate to commission machines and build sheds and things like that. So mm. they've had to deal with all that as well. Yeah. And I love I love the point about they which which is that you know there's masses of opportunities that have come out of these last twelve eighteen months. It for me it's in this uncertainty, it's this ability to be able to see it and realize it and take that opportunity, which is key from there. And I think you know the whole you know I do agree with you on the whole. We will hear about the change fatigue, but we've had no choice. You know, no, they're, they're no. literally they're, there's been no choice in the last 12 to 18 months and the next 12 to 18 months is going to continue to drive that. So we are back to the the question then when we know everything we've gone through and we've got busy businesses and, and busy people, I suppose we're back to this theme here, Dave, Dave which is about how do we navigate it now? Because that pace of change isn't, isn't going to happen. Now, I know, Raquel, you do a lot with technology, but you know some crazy stats that say in the last 12 months, we've had 10 years of technology change, mm-hmm. and there's going to be another 10 years coming in the next 12 months. So you know, 20 years of change in two years. And someone said to me today, watch it next year, because it's going to go even quicker. So things we're doing now, almost we never even thought of. One of the good things that have come out of this for us is that it's sort of validated our proposition that you know if you if you do set up a good team culture and you you do you know give them ownership that it will provide a benefit in the long run so it sort of validated that but it's also stress tested it as well so you know they have been put under pressure and and like one of the things we identified is just the way we communicate it's a bit ad hoc and inconsistent so we work on that the big looming threat to us, and I think that this COVID is basically a distraction to it, is climate change and the sustainability push. And if anything, it's like, you know, it's like your pre-season game because the real game is going to be sustainability and, and climate change, particularly in the food industry. So for me, this is this is just your warm-up match before the season starts. Yeah. Raquel, I see you got your hand up. Yeah, Kevin, um, I think you, you touched on it, right? Necessity is a pretty motivating factor for change to drive change. And I think um, when you don't have a choice, you're, you're really pushed into it. But I threw it in the chat as well. I love the idea of, you know, our associates playing the role of entrepreneurs and working on the business. And you've met our team and they always try to come in with, um, with new concepts and new ideas. But one concept that really shocked us when you spoke about the rate of change is how much how many unnecessary processes we've actually thrown into our business under the guise of compliance or process optimization. In some cases, we've done it just to keep people gainfully employed. It really made us realize that when we were on lockdown and we had 
limited access to our facilities, how few people we actually needed that weren't actually touching a physical garment in the manufacturing. And that's where it's not really process. It's just looking at what we're, what we're doing from a day-to-day operation and are we doing it eight hours a day? That was a big aha moment because I think we, in our business, we've done a value stream map where we have 1,800 processes from receiving an order to shipping it out of the factory. And we reckon you could, we could pull a third of those and make them redundant. Through this period of either voluntary, voluntarily stepping back or having to step back and thinking the whole, you know, I, I always remember a, a very, very coach from many, many years ago who used to say to me, come on, let's go for a cup of coffee. Why is it? You've got one phone call, five questions, and you're going to base, you know, the next 12 months on those five, what would those five questions be? And it was always an interesting one about, so what are the five things do I really need to know or really need to understand to make that decision on? And it was really interesting how a lot of people go, well, actually, I'm not sure what I want to ask. You know, can I have six? No, no, no. You've got to, you've got to have five. And I think that ability to, to I keep coming back to those words is to, is to, is to be adapt and be agile and come back and go, where is the real value at? Who needs to be in and who doesn't need to be in? I'm not that they're busy, but where is those key value points? And I think one of the other things I've really picked up and I'll, I'll come to Eric there is really understanding or what is critical in actually those key processes, because a lot of companies had to make a choice. Who do I have on site? Who do I not have on site? Now, I would imagine, and I'd be interested in what your thoughts might be here is if we'd asked that question five years ago, a high percentage of that would have been, oh, I need my managers. I need my supervisors. I need to be there because I've got to make it happen because this person does this and this person does that. I reckon the whole thing would have flipped. Absolutely. And, you know, technology doesn't mature at the speed um, or a company's adoption of technology doesn't mature at the speed of, of the change we've experienced, right? So how did we get approvals done? We, we actually use smartphones when we couldn't have our quality manager at each of our sites simply because of uh, COVID um, space restrictions. You know, we'd have one team member take a photo, stick it on WhatsApp, send it to him and say, good or not. And Mm. there are simple frugal steps that you could take that don't cost a fortune. Mm. And I think that's what um, I I alluded to with the idea of having entrepreneurs in our business, because you have to keep thinking about how can I evolve? Yeah. And I think going back to the whole, the way we do things, I'll come back to what what David was saying earlier, this, this real challenge about where we do things, the natural thing would have been, I'm a manager, I've got to be there, I've got to pick it up, I've got to fly there. I've got to be there, you know, it's been flipped. And that is going to be quite challenging to a lot of leaders and people in certain roles because it's actually, well, maybe you're not as important as what you thought you were. And therefore, you don't need to be making that decision. Eric, I see you got your hand up. Really interested in something Raquel said about baselining and looking at your processes and what can you change and what's been built up in the business as almost like your own creation of red tape and just padding in the business. Now, flip that to the leadership discuss, discussion around baselines. One thing that I hope businesses are doing, but because through this change, people are struggling to survive in some sectors, that what was our baseline of effective leadership before COVID? How did it morph through COVID? And what do we think is going to be better leadership into the future? I, I, I think it's a more difficult question to ask, but I think it's something we don't do well, I think, across sectors is until we get a point where we have to pivot and hopefully this 
uh, has brought some lessons to bear about do we know what our baselines are, whether it's in a production line, whether it's in the supply chain or whether it's in how we develop our people. What did we have before? What did it look like and how did we develop it? And bang, the change comes. How do we assess what we need now and what do we need to do differently? And being able to align thinking, be agile and be adaptable suggests that you need to start from a baseline or a base somewhere and I I don't think just guessing at that what that looks like is is going to be is going to cut it anymore into the future irrespective of industry you may not agree and I hope some of you don't because I'd love to be challenged on this but I think businesses have made a lot of assumptions and if you don't deal with those assumptions it'll come back to bite you later yeah I think that's a really great point that both uh, Raquel and Eric have made and, and, and part of this is is um going into uh, I was talking with a with an owner of a large manufacturing Australian manufacturing uh, um business yesterday and um he um uh, what they've done and their 400 staff have all gone to 4 days a week just to get through their their covid together so entire staff all all gone to 4 days a week and he was making the uh, observation that uh, manufacturing has not dropped one iota. So they, they've still produced the same volume. And so it started a conversation that you were raising, Eric, around measuring what matters. So rather than actually going through to say we were produ- producing at this level and, and therefore, you know, how do we improve that? Coming back and challenging the status quo and actually starting to do a refresh, renew and re-imagining, re, re, uh, what is it that matters? Um, so how do I measure what matters and start to look at that, that baselining and benchmarking to say the new world order, what are the measures that matter? And therefore, how does that then inform the decision making that I want my frontline leaders to be doing day in, day out as we navigate um, the, the, new, the new normal? whatever that is. And so so I think that there's a really critical piece coming back and having a really strong critical review around measuring what matters. And as David has highlighted, we're going to have to be able to measure and demonstrate our, uh, uh, from a community perspective, our, our, our um, scope one, two, and three um, carbon emissions. I'm going to, it's going to form part of those things. So how do you actually tell your story and reboot your story, who you are and what you do and how are you going to make a difference in, in the uh, organisation that you work in? And the, the, the starting point is being able to measure what matters and, and that's, that starts to, to pick up um, uh, the challenging the status quo around, okay, so, so therefore what type of capability do I need my frontline leaders to do and how do we navigate this, this together and how do I actually get um, the wisdom of my uh, existing and old team that, that have been around for a long, long time and the wisdom of the next generation who can come in and actually be uh, permitted to then challenge the status quo and apply some of those things. And so you get the, get the hit and the yarn of um, what makes your team successful. Just uh, if I can, mate, sorry to interrupt, uh, observation from both the Davids that I've drawn from the conversation thus far about sustainability and, and being able to almost in some ways and, and coming from the sector that I do in commercial fishing almost justify your existence is understanding how we're going to deal with things like a social license to operate now that that has different connotations in different industries but one thing i've struggled to get feedback on in lots of different forums is how do we measure again coming back to the measurement thing how do you measure your social license do i have one social license do i have 10 percent social license like what what is the number and how do you measure it because i think sometimes i think this is a cross-sectoral 
issue and, and leaders are going to have to come to grips to this and some do it better than others. And I, I'm not going to make judgments as to whether you even should engage in it. That's not my call. But I think one of the questions of that comes into my mind is f- who, so, who, who owns the social license and why are we trying to bust a gut to reach that social license? And in the food production side of things, which I have some experience and I know David does that we are food producers. And so we are mission critical in keeping populations healthy and alive and at what point is putting energy into justifying your existence come to an end and getting on with the job of providing food continue now it's a massive political as well as industry question it may be a bit beyond what we're talking about here in leadership but i think it's something that we've got to come to grips with because i can fully understand that we want to be showing our credentials but that has to be one element of a massive range of things that we need to do to keep the doors open and keep people employed and keep producing things that need that society needs and being able to produce protein for the human population is an important endeavor whichever business is doing it so we have to be careful about what what we're measuring and not to put too many eggs into one basket which i think is a lesson of covid that if you're going to be agile don't put all your energies into one area otherwise it's going to come back to bite you thinking about what is the right thing to be measured i think we've really got to get ahead around which is looking outwards and looking forwards is about what I measured now and what I've measured in the past may not be what I need to measure going forward. And you've got to start. So, well, what, what am I, you want, and I love the word, David, the reimagine. And um, I, I go back to what we did with, with, with Kill and his team, you know, project 24 and project eight about, we had to really get our, get the teams to, to think out of, we do it this way. We've always done that way and give them a whole new perspective and reimagine them in that new environment we're here now what is the right things to be doing and we do it now you know we've got to start getting our heads around social responsibility we've got to start thinking about people engagement culture you know what's the right supply chains you know what's onshored offshored and fundamentally there will be some business saying well actually i've learned what i'm doing now is not what i'm going to be doing in 10 years time so i don't know Raquel, whether ppe is or not is going to be an ongoing product or market but uh, it'd be interesting where that sits now but suddenly you've You've moved into something which if someone had come to you two years ago, you would have said, Kev, no, don't be so silly. We'd, there's no way we'd even think about going down that direction. Oh, um, unfortunately, that doesn't have a happy ending. Uh, you know, the market was flooded with uh, with PPE very shortly. So, okay. okay. Uh, I don't know if you know, just as a fun fact, um, you know, the price of a, a PPE outfit costs, you know, $3.50 at its peak. It's now trading at like $1.08 which is actually below manufacturing costs. So it's uh, <laughs> go figure. Um, the whole topic, David, that you brought up about reimagining and what is right for now. And Kevin, Kevin and Eric, you, you touched on it as well with what do you measure? I think the KPIs of yesterday, a lot of them are fading away and new KPIs are evolving, but we need to limit exactly how many points of measure because you still need people behind them to to look at them, to analyze them, and to understand what you're going to do with those figures. And I think that's a big realization for us that a lot of the KPIs we looked at were actually irrelevant in, in this new world when time was limited. Mm. That's a really interesting point. And I, that may be one that will come out as another topic here. But, you know, I think, again, it, it's, it's, it's just learning. This is this, and I suppose you're coming back to this, this alignment point again is about really aligning now so what is the right things for us and our businesses and our people and our and our community you know i know david and i know raquel and the team you've got a real strong community link here and i think the the multiplier effect that 
that's coming out of the lot of discussions now about people really understanding the impact of of us needing them and them needing us. So, you know, you needed good businesses being profitable to be able to spend into the community, which is great, but you need the community being there to help support the businesses as well. So there's this a bit of alignment now that says we've got to really think about how that works now. And like you say, what are those key things? Because, you know, one of the downsides of technology, it can give you 20,000 data points at a blink. Technology is great. We've got to watch out for it's not giving this data overload again. And, and we try and do too much. It's, so I really love, love, love this thinking about as we're navigating through this uncertainty, we've really got to get ahead around what are the right things we need to concentrate on. And it may not be traditional balance scorecard. You know, it, it may be a flexible card that, that needs to change. Heresy. <laughs> You know, or it's something's got to come in and get out. We've got to move. Or there's there's some things that we've just got to put on the board that we just never even thought about. I think part of that, part of that's exactly right, and I really like what uh, Raquel and uh, Eric was saying there. That that one of the things in this transparent measuring what matters world is is actually ensuring that your standards meet expectations. So, what are the expectations of uh, your consumers versus your staff versus the community? And and that's the intangible piece. And this uh, leads into this alignment, agility, and adaptability piece to say, well, who who are my uh, target customers and target staff? Um, and target suppliers and how, how do they value add to their standards meeting sure that they meet your expectations but also the the expectations in terms of the um, stakeholders whom, whom you need to serve and navigate and and as as david highlighted the sustainability agenda and expectations that that's gone that's that that race is now up and running and therefore how do you keep up with those expectations and manage that and, and it's, it's as much a political issue as is with a commercial issue and, and so this this is ignore that at your peril so what are the other expectations that people are wanting in terms of being B Corp accredited, uh, paying reasonable wages, uh, adding value to the community. You know, the things that, that go into into that is, is something that the world is changing. And so therefore, this agenda is placing profit before community is, is not, not sustainable in, in, the, in, in the short term in terms of the way what we've just come through. What advice would you give, given your experience with the, the many different leaders that you've met with about setting reasonable boundaries to that thinking? Because, and I'll use an example I won't use the seafood or, or poultry sector, but let's let's say another farming sector where there is a group in the community that would rather we never produced protein of any kind and they have valid views in their mind about what food production is. And if we listen to their concerns of the many that are out there, we wouldn't produce food at all. So when setting your boundaries, whose expectations are you necessarily going to meet? And then how do you navigate the politics that come into it? Because this, I didn't think we were going to get here with these discussions, but I think the overlap of business practice and getting good leadership in industry is often impacted by political imperatives that aren't not necessarily your own. And there are multiple stakeholder groups in which we deal with that have agendas that have nothing to do with your long-term viability. So how do you set a boundary to that that keeps you sane as a leader, keeps you introspective, but also keeps you agile? A really good question. Probably just change it just slightly. Rather than talking a boundary, I'd set a compass. And it goes back to what David was talking about, of having a clear set of, of values and a clear purpose and a clear mission to say, okay, so how do we navigate this ever-changing world and a 
appropriate manner that that is in line with community expectations, business expectations, staff expectations. You know, this is this where standards meet expectations. And for me, uh, as you go through, what, what I do with organisations help get clarity around what is our compass so we can actually manage this, this grey area as we start to, to go through this around saying, okay, how do you make informed decisions based on a set of criteria of who we are, what we stand for, and, and what's acceptable. Build, builds into this. And this, this goes back in, I'm sure David's banged on about this for years, is that the standard you walk past is the standard you accept, and that that's what's going to come and bite you. So coming in and putting together your, your compass and having that done with informed discussions with your team will help add clarity in, into that, that process. And so you're aligned in some of the, the uh, building blocks of how you make decisions and how you balance the commercial requirements of the business along with the cultural requirements of the business with the community requirements of the, of the community whom you serve. And, and if you're not discussing that with your team, it's going to end in tears. But if you are discussing with your teams, you've got half a chance at navigating and aligning and adapting those changing circumstances. And this this is mission critical in terms of building uh, your robust culture around how we navigate um, the, 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 end, the two ends of the spectrum. People, particularly in the red meat industry, you hear a lot of people just going ballistic about vegans and you know fake meat being called meat at all and things like that. I think that's just, just get over it, you know. Um, people know what you're talking about. I, but in terms of how you, I mean, I think every organisation has to almost think like a social enterprise these days. And I, and I think that's a good thing, really, for everybody. I mean, we, we work in, uh, we've been a very long time in the Redlands community up here in Queensland, and most of our farms and all that are out, out west in Southern Downs. And, and we think long and hard about how we, you know, what's our purpose in that community? Sure, we have, we provide employment and all that, but our employees love to see us supporting their community as well, interacting in their community. And so there's a, there's a payback on it, but I think there's also an obligation to take some of the lessons out of social enterprise. I mean, they're, they're there for a purpose, a good purpose, and you can do that and make money at the same time. I think the people who struggle with it are the leaders who don't have a very high score on humility, really. You know, the leaders who, you know, the old style where, you know, I know what to do and I'll give you the orders, uh, they're the ones that are going to really suffer. You've, you've got to trust the people that you employ. I mean, I shouldn't say this too loud because people outside, but, you know, the place runs itself. I mean, all I do, all I do, I just, I just hear about the exceptionally good stuff and the exceptionally poor stuff. But you know, I'm very confident that, that there's no surprises from out in the field. Great. Thank you. Raquel, and then we'll, uh, we'll look to do a bit of a, a bit of a close up then. So, Raquel, you got your hand up? Speaking about social enterprise um, and you know, your, your various industries. We're, we're in the same boat here in, in, in apparel where, you know, being a, a machine operator has a social stick and um, obviously more so during COVID where you have factories of 1,000, 2,000 people upwards. We had one of our competitors was linked unfairly to a, to a super spreader event within a factory. And we had rigid processes and it, and it affected morale for the industry. And I think that's when you kind of realize that no matter what you do, no matter how good or how clean your, your operations are, it's, it's the external perception to stakeholders that you also have. And it's how, what can you do in an authentic way to, to make sure that it doesn't happen to you? And I don't have an answer. Because it could be something you say, something you do. But David, you just touched on it, right? You can't control everything at, at, at the top. And as long as the you hear more good news than bad news, I think you're, you're doing okay. And you need to be a little pragmatic at times. 
no, exactly right. It's a it's a great it's a great analogy, and and having worked with um with Rakul and Madwar and, and the team as well, you know there is I've seen firsthand how having that real and David with his Doala team having that real positive community engagement that is really right and humble and it is received in the right way has a massive impact through through the community and i'm sure you've both had if rewards is the right word for it you've seen the benefit of that in the last 12 to 18 months mm-hmm. because there's a real connection and i love that and i think david and um, it's come up in the chat as well this ownership principle i feel part of the business i almost feel it's my business therefore i, I do the right things is a is a fantastic place to be because i think what it also then means you know, you will adapt. You will be more open when something comes your way that you're not quite expecting because there's this bit of, well, oh, you wouldn't have said that if it wasn't real. Therefore, but I know you're willing to accept me if I come back with some feedback or come up with, with a better idea. And and that's where that 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 information really flows through. So I think there's some, there's some great connection, like I said, this whole multiplier effect, which I think also goes back to the supply chain now. It's not just us. It's about if we could get that whole thinking agility and value add and ownership to a whole supply chain yeah there's going to be some winners and losers here but overall the overall position should be better should be better which is really what we're going to i think they're going back to a new normal better normal it's it's not going to be the old normal i think we can it's just no way now this everything's gone on so it's really about and i love the whole for me to close out is it's that real time to reimagine now what have we really learned and what, what can we really go to at, at that next level so i'd like to do the same thing again so like i say a thank you thank you Raquel, thank you david and david and obviously eric i just like a little bit of a takeaway from you so just something that's really resonated with you and something as we wrap up the podcast you really want to share with with the listeners as when we talk about navigating uncertainty so i'm going to go david greaves I, I think that what's front of mind for us is that you know, I don't want to be flippant about this, but for us, COVID is a, a distraction. I mean, we think the real game is sustainability and climate change. I mean, that that's still firing away in the background. And, you know, there's a lot of resistance against doing something about it still. But I think we'll come out of COVID and hopefully we'll be more match ready for for taking on that battle. And I think that fitted in definitely with our with the chat we had about our fit for future or future fit leaders about what we're taking away mm. from here now to, to really go and maximize the, the potential from here. Raquel. Uh, I just threw it in the chat as well. I think, it, yep. um, you know, David Stewart described it so perfectly and beautifully about expectations between customers, staff and community. And for me, it boils down to trust and ensuring that as a, as a manufacturer, we, we are trusted by all three stakeholders. And, you know, COVID was the great reset for us, as I spoke about it in process. And if we've wasted it, I think that that responsibility is on us. Yeah, I love that phrase. And I think it's definitely coming out with, with a number of the, the more forward thinking leaders here, an opportunity that we don't want to miss out on. Without a doubt. David Stewart. Look, I've got two outtakes. The first one is what a great example of agility and adaptability uh, Kevin and Raquel have done uh, in their in the dealing with uh, the uh, uh, their web hosting uh, being down and you've been able to run to Starbucks and sit on the roof, Kevin, uh, to, to, to do this. So, so I'll be very appreciative of the uh, first class case study of uh, yep. ag- agility and adaptability. But for me, I, I think what this, this discussion has done is, and, and the thing is, is give every Everyone's got an, an ability now to actually go through their own great reset. And how do I actually then go through and 
refresh and reaffirm who we are and what we do and, and uh, you know, have that discussion around our purpose, our mission and who we seek to per, uh, uh, serve and you know, go have a, a renew and refresh of that and, and uh, do that. And then start to then reimagine around uh, what is it we then need to, to go through as we uh, move into an uncertain future and what would that look through. And, and that reimagining will give you some scenarios and that then uh, if you've got some scenarios like sailing, you actually then prepare yourself for bumpy uh, bumpy waters or, or great uh, great winds um, or, or tailwinds or things like that that allows you to then jump on that uh, opportunity as and when they emerge and then navigate the risk as and when they emerge. And so so that's that's the reimagined piece. And, and that then moves into then thinking about how I actually prepare tomorrow's leaders today and start thinking about um, our, our next discussion. Uh, and how yeah. we might go about yeah. doing that. What a fantastic segue into our next podcast, Eric. Oh, well done, David. You could, you've nearly got a job here, David, for, for doing that type of thing. So, Eric, I'm going to hand you over to, to close us off there. But for me, that was a another fantastic discussion. So, Raquel, David, and David, it, thanks for your time here. And I really appreciate your insights as, as we continue over our podcast series. So, Eric, just some key takeaways for you as we close out. Sure. Thank you. For a long time, I've been thinking about the following, and I think it came up through most of this discussion, is how do you help upskill, re-look at the capability of dealing with uncertainty? I think if I had a, a trifecta of things that I've been looking at, the two that I've mentioned before is foresight and strategic thinking. I think dealing with uncertainty, there's a whole tool set, toolkit, and I think research gaps there that I, I, I'm going to be looking into into the future definitely and I think this this kind of discussion cements it in my mind that uncertainty is an underlier of all of these discussions that we're having and to assume that all of us in different leadership capacities whatever they are have a handle on how to deal with that well or effectively I think is to would be to assume too much so I think it's it's worth Sorry, I just saw the quote there, Mike Tyson, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Well, okay, so yeah, I I have to agree with that. I I think for me, there's more discussion to be had here, and I'm not catastrophizing, I think, Kevin, you said it best, there are opportunities here to do things better, and I think having the discussion around how you navigate uncertainty is only going to be a winner in the current business environment. And if going forward, we get an ability to deal with uncertainty, I think most of the problems we've got in business would not be a problem. So um, that would be my takeaway. Thanks again for joining us on the podcast. I'd like to thank David Stewart, David Greaves and Raquel Hadramani for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks again. And we'll catch you all on the next podcast.